Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, October 23rd. Coming up, two Missouri colleges founded in the 19th century, one majority white, one historically black, were supposed to receive similar funding under terms of a federal program. How's that been working out? We find, uh, at least in Missouri, that Mizzou has been fully funded in this land-grant line, while the Lincoln University has received half or less. How some lawmakers are trying to tackle past and present underfunding of historically black land-grant universities. But first, our weekly look at top state government and politics stories on both sides of the state line. The U.S. Supreme Court has left in place a lower court ruling blocking a Missouri gun rights law from taking effect. The so-called Second Amendment Preservation Act, which Missouri's legislature passed in 2021, would have made it illegal for state and local officials to enforce federal gun restrictions in the state. It also would have allowed lawsuits against agencies and municipalities that didn't comply. The Biden administration sued, saying the Constitution's supremacy clause meant the state couldn't usurp federal law that way. A district judge in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed, but Missouri's attorney general took the case to the high court. The justices declined to reinstate the law while the appeal is pending for now. Only Justice Clarence Thomas noted a dissent. In Kansas, a bipartisan commission says lawmakers should get a big raise, increasing their pay to $43,000 a year. As Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service reports, the legislature will consider the idea when it convenes next January. The proposal would increase Kansas lawmaker pay by nearly 50% in 2025, and legislative leaders would make more, up to $68,000. Currently, lawmakers make an average of $29,000 a year. Commissioner Clark Schultz, a former Republican state senator, says pay now is so little that regular Kansans often can't afford to serve. We don't want that, but we also don't want $100,000 salary that you know, this becomes their job. The plan now heads to the full Kansas legislature. Lawmakers created the commission to avoid angering voters by directly choosing to boost their own pay. The Kansas foster care program has been under scrutiny the past few years over kids spending the night sleeping in social workers' offices. But contractor Cornerstones of Care says they haven't had a child spend a night at an office since January. Still, as Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports, 17 kids have spent a night in a new short-term shelter. Eliminating overnight office stays is a priority for every foster care agency in Kansas. But lawmakers and advocates say an agency eliminating stays just to put kids in a shelter is not much of an improvement. Foster care agency Cornerstones of Care disagrees. They say their shelter has playgrounds, libraries, and a chapel. Rachel Spathy is the executive director of Kansas Programs and Services at Cornerstones. She previously told lawmakers that her agency has stopped taking kids to the office. So while they're not in the office, they may be in a one-night placement. We've got to fix that. In the first six months of 2023, 17 kids spent a night at a shelter run by Cornerstones. Last year, 30 kids spent a night in a Cornerstones office. A lawsuit in St. Louis County challenging local taxes on marijuana sales could impact prices across the state, including here in Kansas City. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. If you buy recreational weed in Kansas City, you'll pay a sales tax, a Missouri tax, a Kansas City tax, and a Jackson County tax. That's after voters in Kansas City and Jackson County approved separate 3% sales taxes on weed purchases in April. Two lawsuits in St. Louis County and Buchanan County argue a county and city tax cannot be stacked at the same time. 
The Missouri Cannabis Trade Association called it a, quote, unconstitutional money grab. A hearing for the Buchanan County lawsuit will take place in December. There's more Kansas City Today coming up. Stay with us. Oreo is the most famous cookie in the world, but few people remember the product that it blatantly ripped off, a creation of Jacob Luce in Kansas City. Not only was Oreo this copycat of Hydrox, it was also built on the back of the company that Jacob had founded himself. How Kansas City started the cookie wars. Hear the whole story on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Missouri has two land-grant universities, part of a 19th-century program where federal land was given to the states so they would use the proceeds to fund educational institutions. One is the University of Missouri-Columbia, where three-quarters of the school's more than 60,000 students are white. The other is Lincoln University, a historically black institution of about 2,000 students in Jefferson City. A new report shows that historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs, that are land-grant institutions have been underfunded relative to their majority white peers. And Lincoln University is no exception, underfunded to the tune of $360 million. There's a concerted effort now to address the disparity at the state and federal levels. Misty Dunn is executive director of university and alumni relations at Lincoln, and I spoke with her along with state representative Kevin Windham, a Democrat from St. Louis County, recently on KCUR's Up to Date. Misty, let me start with you and and give us some context. There were two phases of the original land-grant program that affected us here in Missouri, one in 1862 and one in 1890. How did that work? So the 1862, of course, is the phase that would have funded the University of Missouri. The 1890 uh, was the phase that would have funded uh, sister institutions, sister HBC institutions, so Lincoln University and 18 other HBCU institutions. Obviously, that happened in two phases because there was uh, there was some additional thinking in 1890 that, that this was important for the federal government to, to get involved in. That is correct. Of course, our um, historically black colleges and universities were doing that same sort of work, but uh, we needed that additional funding to be able to do that. Now, does the funding work the same in the two programs uh, that that all of those those the colleges that benefited from these land grants was supposed to work the same? So the mission of, of any land grant institution is the same. And so uh, the funding that the University of Missouri receives is expected to do the same um, that we do here at Lincoln University. Yeah, besides those original grants of federal land, the the Department of Agriculture, for example, still gives additional funding to these institutions. And what is that for? So that is for our research, that is for our extension activities. So research uh, that we do here at the university, like our our hemp research, uh, we're building a meat processing plant here in the in the near future, and then our extension activities that we offer here in Jefferson City, as well as our satellite offices around the state. So that's that's a lot of significant programs for for your university, um, but it but it depends on matching funds. I'm hearing you say it does. So back in 2000, uh, there was a federal mandate that the states were supposed to provide matching funds. Uh, It was at a 30% level back in 2000. By the year 2007, 
there was uh, it was supposed to raise to that 100% match, so that dollar for dollar match. And so that's what we've been working towards since then. So Representative Wyndham, let me bring you in. Has Missouri been matching the funds to receive the federal funding that these land-grant institutions are, are supposed to be entitled to? No, since the university and Lincoln University has um, then the HBCU, we've only, as a state, fully funded the land-grant line item twice in fiscal year 2022 and in fiscal year 2023. Um, I'll also say that there is what some may see as a slight difference between 1862 and 1890 universities, so between uh, Mizzou and between Lincoln in our case. And that small difference is that HBCUs are able to submit a waiver saying that the state wasn't able to fully meet their obligation, uh, while 1862s don't have the same option. But we find, uh, at least in Missouri, that the 1862 institution, Mizzou, has been fully funded in this land-grant line item, while Lincoln University has received half or less. Uh, now, I know you haven't been in the House for all of those last 20 years when that funding wasn't happening, but but what was going on there? Why why was it not being funded until 2022? Um, well, I think that two of the big factors are awareness. Uh, some folks just didn't know what that line item was for. And then I say the second part of it is just how concerned the state legislature has been with that line item. So I think that it's not too hard to find ways to fully fund Lincoln University, but if the legislature doesn't put their full onus uh, into doing that, then we see what happens. Yeah, I mean, help us help us put this in context. I, I, the state of higher education funding in Missouri, I mean, it's been sort of up and down. Do you think this is a problem with funding education in general, or is this a problem specifically with funding for Lincoln? No, I, I don't think that it's, uh, it's a matter of, of having the dollars um, because, as you said, funding has gone up and down for higher education. But even when it's been up, the Lincoln University hasn't received that full land-grant line item. So just for the past two years, where we've had an outrageous surplus, have we even fully funded the land-grant line item for one year? So I think that it's time, like uh, numerous studies have shown, um, whether that be the federal government here recently, or the studies over the years by Forbes, uh, the National Educators Association, or the Association of Public Land Grant Universities, they all show that Lincoln University and other HBCUs have faced decades of underfunding. And it's, at some point, it's time to stop studying and start rectifying the issue that's been highlighted over all these reports. Well, yeah, I mean, let's let's put some numbers on that. You mentioned this federal government report from the uh, Department of Education, um, and it is true in states all across the country uh, that this is happening. That a letter was sent to governors of states that are that where this disparity exists. And, and let me read just a, a couple lines here from that letter that was sent to, to Missouri's governor, Mike Parson. It says, using readily available data, we calculated the amount that these institutions would have received if their state funding per student were equal. Unequitable funding of Lincoln has caused a severe financial gap in the last 30 years alone, an additional $361,569,760 would have been available for the university. I want to ask both of you, Misty Nunn, what's your reaction to that? 
it is uh, something that we definitely had to deal with over the past 30 years. So we, as uh, Representative Wyndham mentioned, had to file a waiver each of those years because we did not have the match. Uh, we started receiving in 2009 was when we first had any matching funds. We received about 16% of our, our matching funds from the state at that time. So up until 2017, we were filing a waiver and then we were having, having to use those uh, state funds that we would use for other things like student services, deferred maintenance, things like that. And so we were using those funds to uh, supplement that, which meant we were putting those funds into our land grant activities, which is, of course, something that we want to do because we want to still be able to do those land grant activities. But then it was taken mm -hmm. away from the total mission of the university. And so that uh, equaled about the tune of $43.4 million uh, over those 17 years. Back in 2017, we just weren't able to do that anymore because it was affecting the rest of the university. So as a lawmaker then, Representative Wyndham, uh, what's your plan? What will you and your colleagues in the General Assembly be doing to address this? You've mentioned that there has been funding the last two years, uh, but but what, what else needs to be done? Right. So I think that just fully funding Lincoln's land-grant line item was a decent first step. However, now it's time to start looking back into the past and seeing how we can how we can rectify the issue of underfunding historically. So uh, whether that be the $43 million that Lincoln's taken out of his core and put into land-grant research and extension, or whether that be um, looking at the almost $100 million in deferred maintenance, or even just the $11 million that uh, or more that Lincoln has returned due to insufficient matching funds from the state. So it's a number of different ways that, that we can attack this uh, one step at a time, if you will. But I think that a good first step is having a special committee of the House or a joint committee of the legislature and being able to look at these things with a magnifying glass, with a critical eye, and being able to say, well, what are the steps that we need to take to make Lincoln University a state-of-the-art uh, university like many of our other institutions in the state. Now, I need to ask you, uh, I'm speaking to you as a, as a Democrat uh, in a House that has a Republican supermajority. The Senate has a Republican mm -hmm. supermajority as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans have been uh, sometimes reluctant to increase funding for higher education, even when there's been a, a, made, a big state budget surplus. Um, especially if it's not tied extremely closely to workforce development or job growth. What, what do you think are the chances of success in, uh, in seeing those increases to funding that you're talking about? I think there's a good chance of success one way or the other. So like I said, I believe that a good first step would be a committee to look at the issue. Uh, a bipartisan group of legislators um, on the House side has come together to request the speakers to make a special committee to look at those issues. Um, there's also been different ways to rectify the issue coming up in other states. So in Mississippi, Maryland, and Florida, it came by way of lawsuit. So I hope that it doesn't take Missouri being sued in order to rectify the issue. I hope that we can go about it as a legislature um, and as a government and do it on our own. That was Missouri Representative Kevin Windham from Hillsdale and Misty Dunn of Lincoln University. I spoke with them on KCUR's Up to Date. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To hear my complete conversation on the underfunding of HBCUs or to follow Kansas and Missouri government news all week long, visit kcur.org, the online home of Kansas City's NPR station. And don't forget to leave us a review if you can on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.